Hi, my name is Marla. Hi, my name is Dolly. My name is Sector. My name is Dan King. My name is Javier. My name is Becky. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Two struggles with sexual abuse, codependency, with anger and control issues, sexual addiction, struggles with sexual addiction, control and sexual abuse. My struggles began when I was 11. That was the first time that I was abused. I grew up in an alcoholic um, family with a father who was very abusive. I didn't think I struggled with uh, sexual addiction until about um, three years ago when, um, when I tried to, by myself, quit um, being unfaithful to my wife. Wasn't until God brought me to celebrate recovery that really opened my eyes to the truth about who I really was and realized the lie that I had lived for so long. I came to CR because I was extremely depressed, suicidal, hopeless, um, and had basically given up on life. I was a non-believer and had no hope left. I realized that the pain of dealing with a recovery, not trying to stay sober, but a recovery, uh, was less than the pain that I was causing other people. There was a calling. Um, God just called me. A person that I work with, who I confided in, who is a strong believer in Jesus Christ, has a great walk with him, uh, told me about CR. And then, uh, and then when I went to my counselor, she told me, she reiterated, celebrate recovery, and that's kind of when I started looking for a group a Celebrate Recovery group to, to attend, and that was three months ago. Celebrate Recovery helped me understand that the deep-seated shame was causing me to have behaviors that might have been okay socially, but they weren't okay with God. The program that makes it different is because it's Christ-based. CR has given me tools. It has, um, it has given me um, accountability partners. I'm able to operate from a much healthier place today because of the help that I've received in CR. Celebrate Recovery has just offered such a support and such a connection and an understanding that I can be loved, not, not a way just to uh, be alone anymore. It's a family. Because of God's grace and Celebrate Recovery, I am able to help others. I'm a better person, mother, daughter, a wife. I am able to deal with my life every day. I am able to more completely love my children and others in my life. I am able to get up and function every day. I now have a great wife that loves me, that accepts me for who I am. I have a woman that stands by my side and has an understanding. I have a better relationship with my kids. I have real friends that I can reach out to. And my life is just better. I am Dan King. I am Becky. My name is Javier Blanco. I'm Dolly. My name is Sector. And I overcome. Because he overcame. Good morning. My name is Johnny, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol, and uh, 
By the grace of God, I've been sober 21 years. When Pastor Jeffrey asked me to get up and talk about Celebrate Recovery, um, I got to tell you, I started thinking back about the last three and a half years, and um, I've seen so many people come through the doors of Celebrate Recovery that are still coming, that are uh, just gaining freedom from uh, the bondage of drugs and alcohol, uh, as you can see from our video, uh, struggling with uh, pornography, sexual addiction, adultery in their marriage. Um, there's people struggling with uh, overeating and anger, and uh, it's only by God's grace that they're able to come through those doors and get the support uh, from, um, from the, the others that come to the program. Um, and, you know, one of the main things that goes along with Celebrate Recovery is, is uh, senior pastor support. And uh, I just got to say, I, I really appreciate Pastor Jeffrey and his support and this church uh, and everybody here that supported us along the way. Um, you know, without, uh, without his support and without God being the center of our ministry, um, you know, it's just, uh, it wouldn't be the same. I've got people that uh, have called or emailed that uh, are going to AA meetings or sexual addiction meetings, and um, they are, um, they, they know they're missing something because they're not Christ-centered, and um, they're eager to get here, and when they do come, uh, they don't want to leave. So, um, again, I just want to thank Pastor Jeffrey, and if you guys could give me, uh, give me help, some help here. Because he, he knows my past, as a lot of you do here, and uh, I don't know that this ministry would ever started if Pastor Jeffrey didn't drag me to Dallas for a one-day seminar and say, you got to see this. Come check this out and tell me what you think about it. And, and, you know, like I said, about three and a half years ago, we started this thing, and it's growing. Uh, it's growing strong and stronger uh, each week. we got new people coming all the time, and uh, thanks to you all for your support. Blessing today to be in God's presence. And to give him praise, he alone is holy and worthy. And uh, we've seen evidence today already of his uh, life-transforming power. And we're thankful to God for that. Uh, a few months ago, Pastor Geraldo, the, the uh, able and uh, wonderful ordained leader of our Spanish ministry, uh, approached me and said that they were thinking of having a weekend missions conference as a as part of the Spanish ministry and that they were going to be inviting someone from the Voice of the Martyrs uh, to be a part of that. That's an organization that I've known about for a long time and respected their work and their ministry, especially in uh, bringing awareness to, to those of us that often find it, ease, uh, it easy in, in some ways to be a Christian and to have freedom to worship like we do in this country, uh, to bring to us into light the, the difficulties that many have in following Christ around the world and in serving so well and sacrificially there. So when he said they're going to have someone from the Voice of the Martyrs, I said we'd love to have them here on Sunday morning as well. So in just a moment, uh, Russell Stendahl will come and speak to us. He's been uh, a missionary in South America for many years, and he sacrificed and he served well, and we look forward to what God is going to have uh, to say through him to us this morning. And um, in just a moment, we'll have a video clip that will give us a little background of where he comes from, but uh, just before he comes to speak right after that video clip, I'm just going to ask Russell to stand and let's give him a warm Houston, Texas welcome this morning. Thank you. In the year 2008, 
we hope to give a Galcom radio to one out of every ten men and women involved in Colombia's conflict. By the year 2008, 55,000 radios have been distributed throughout Colombia by land, air, and water. cursed by the wealth of emeralds, where countless lives have been taken due to greed, avarice, and the insatiable hunger for power, one radio gets into the hands of one emerald miner. This is the only radio that works 500 meters underground. Now, men that were inaccessible to conventional evangelism are hearing a genuine gospel. In the majestic backdrop of Colombia's finest coffee-growing mountains, a woman receives a radio. Her life is changed by what she hears. She begins to invite her friends to listen. These people now gather weekly to hear the word, pray, and seek God. One courageous mother takes a radio to a guerrilla commander. She hopes her sons, who are fighting under his leadership, will receive it. With much prevention, the guerrilla commander miraculously takes the radio. Two weeks later, he calls, requesting radios for all of his men and women. A radio is given to a family in Chocó. Its message becomes so valuable that during the times when the signal is not clear, one of the children climbs the highest tree nearby to position the radio as the rest of the family gathers under the shade to listen. A boat trip is made to distribute radios down one of Colombia's most dangerous guerrilla-controlled rivers. Although the travelers return safely, there's no evidence that the endeavor was fruitful. Some years later, a boat driver traveling down the same river is stopped by a guerrilla front. He witnesses a group of guerrillas at the river's shore, gathered around a Bible listening to a message from a Galcom radio. This is what God has done with five Galcom radios. Imagine what he's doing with the other 54,995. This is the time for Colombia, reminded of when uh, missionaries uh, had the opportunity in China prior to World War II and now many people rue the day that they didn't uh, help more at that time. Also when Japan opened up right after World War II uh, and more could have been done and wasn't. 
And now is the time for Colombia and for the Venezuelan border. We don't know how much longer this window of opportunity will last, but we have the time and we have the opportunity to bring in a tremendous harvest here and now. We need your help. Pleasure to be here this morning. I flew up from Bogota, Colombia on Friday, and uh, that last shot that you saw in the video is a almost 14,000 foot high mountain that we have been praying about for the last seven years. And one of the last things I did in Colombia was to install a major radio station on top of that mountain that is now beaming the gospel into a huge area in the center of Colombia, filled with violence. I'd like to give you a little background on how I got to Colombia. Born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My dad was a civil engineer working for the United States government on a big construction project. And one evening after work, he decided to broaden the horizons. So my dad sat me on his lap and began throwing through this book to teach me how people live in South America. It was about the Indians in Ecuador. But he had bought the wrong book. It wasn't something nice from the National Geographic. It showed how the people really lived. The poverty, the hunger, the drunkenness, the bloody machete fights, the despair. And so my father tried to close the book and get rid of it. And I pried it open for one last look because I'd never seen anything like that in Minneapolis. And the last picture of the book had this poor Indian lady sitting beside the road. Her husband was drunk. He'd been in a fight. He was all bloody, passed out in the ditch. And there were six or eight little kids, and they were going to go home, and this was their life, week in and week out. And I turned to my dad, and I said, why do they live like that? And my dad said, I guess they don't know any better. And at four years old, I became very indignant and said, why don't they know any better? And my dad said, well, I guess uh, no one has gone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. And I said, well, why hasn't anyone gone? And my dad said, well, I guess no one really cares about those people. No one loves those people. I looked my father square in the eye and I said, you care, don't you, Dad? And he said, yes, son, I care. And so I said, well, why don't we go help them? I thought we better leave the next day and go help those poor people. And I couldn't believe it. My dad started to hem and haw, and he said, uh, you can't just take off for South America. That would be missionary work. In order to be a missionary, God would have to call you. God would have to open the doors. God would have to provide the finances. He went on and on and laid it all on God. Then he brought it back around to where he'd been wanting to go for the evening and said, maybe when you grow up, you can be a missionary. Well, my father had also been teaching me to pray before putting me to bed. So I climbed off his lap, knelt beside the sofa, beside where he was sitting, and prayed in a loud voice and said, dear God, please call my parents to be missionaries 
so I won't have to wait till I grow up. Four years later, we were on the mission field in Colombia, South America, working with Indians very similar to the ones that we had seen in that picture book. I had the privilege of being on the field at the beginning of the work in Colombia, which had been a closed country. The Wycliffe Bible translators had signed a contract. William Cameron Townsend, the founder of Wycliffe, was there in person. And we got to sit on his lap and listen to his stories and fly around with the first Wycliffe jungle pilots that came to Columbia. There was only one Christian radio station that hit into Columbia back then, and it was Transworld Radio from the island of Bonaire in the Netherlands Antilles, just off the north coast of Venezuela. It was operating with 500,000 watts of power. That's enough power so that you could hear it clear here in Houston. A family came to the Lord listening to Transworld Radio. They changed the name of their farm from St. Helen to Bonaire, which means good air. They began praying that God would send someone to teach them the Bible. And there was an old abandoned airstrip on one border of their farm, and they went and cleaned it up with an old tractor that they had. And guess what happened next? The first Wycliffe missionary airplane landed in that airstrip, looking for a place to build a missionary base to reach out to the tribes of Indians in the jungles. William Cameron Townsend and my dad built the missionary base next to that farm on a big lake called Loma Linda. Imagine praying for a Bible teacher and you get William Cameron Townsend. And God began to move in the jungles of Columbia. My dad was in charge of the technical studies and translation process for 42 Bible translations in Colombia and Panama. But as the work advanced, and we were included as kids, by the time I was 14 years old, I was driving around on a Honda trail bike with a sack of Bibles on the back, teaching people how to tune in Transworld Radio and making sure that they had a Bible. By the time I was 19, I was flying in the jungle and taking Life of Christ movies with a portable generator and projecting them on the whitewashed walls of villages that had never, ever heard the gospel. Churches sprang up. The missionary effort appeared very successful. Thousands of pastors were trained and deployed. The statistics sent back home seemed wonderful. So many people each week had raised their hand and prayed the sinner's prayer. So many people had been baptized. So many people were being uh, congregated in one place or another. But we were not prepared for what was going to happen next. Out in the remote areas of Colombia, trouble had been brewing. 
Marxist guerrillas were being trained. And what made the difference between them being insignificant without resources and for them to be able to challenge the country almost overnight because of the drug traffic that started. And once that drug traffic took off in Colombia, millions and now certainly billions of dollars have made it into the hands of terrorism. Well, they see missionaries as competition. They want to control the money. They want to control the people. They don't want any meetings other than meetings that they ordain. So they began killing missionaries, kidnapping missionaries, killing pastors, burning church buildings. And by 1983, I found myself as one of the few remaining missionaries deep into Eastern Colombia. Over the course of the next few years, over 850 missionaries were withdrawn from Eastern Colombia alone. Virtually every church building was either destroyed or turned into a community center. Christian meetings were prohibited. Even Christian home meetings were prohibited. The communists attempted to eradicate any mention of God. They controlled an area larger than the country of North Korea and a very similar spirit. In North Korea, working with Voice of the Martyrs, we find that when people become Christians in North Korea and it's found out, they, they don't just kill the Christian family. No. They killed the neighbors on either side because those neighbors should have been able to tell that that family became Christian. And so, why didn't the neighbors report it? There is a force of evil that hates God and hates Christianity that we haven't experienced. Yes, we have opposition to the gospel in this country. And our freedoms are being whittled away at. But we haven't seen anything like the onslaught that can happen in other parts of the world. If the devil is able, he will do everything possible to completely eradicate freedom and any mention of the name of God. I thought God was going to do something wonderful for me. I thought I was going to get a big reward from heaven for staying out in difficult conditions in Eastern Colombia. And I was kind of speculating as to what uh, form or what shape this blessing might take. Well, guess what happened? I got captured, taken hostage, tied to a tree in a communist prison camp. And it was only after three days out there tied to this tree that it dawned on me what God was really doing. You see, I had been praying for months that God would send the gospel to the communist guerrillas. And I had some vague idea of maybe, you know, they would turn on the radio and hear the gospel or somehow a Bible would make it into their camp. But I didn't have the remotest inkling as I was praying these very intense prayers that God might take me seriously and actually send me and put me right in the middle of a communist prison camp. 
Because how else are you going to share the gospel with the gorillas? So when I realized what God was doing and began cooperating with him instead of trying to get him to do what I wanted, the Lord was able to put the cart and the horse in the right direction. And after five months, the guerrilla leadership decided they didn't want me in their communist camp anymore. The leader screamed in my face. He said, you're not in charge here. I'm in charge. He said, the men are paying more attention to you than to me. And they were fighting with one another to get on guard duty so they could share what was in their heart with me. And God was touching their lives. So they had to either shoot me or let me go. And God intervened, and here I am. But it opened another phase of ministry that would have not happened otherwise. Because Eastern Columbia became like a spiritual black hole, a tremendous void. Christianity as we knew it crumbled. The twin problems of drug trafficking and terrorism made it so that no one wanted to identify with being a Christian. The best-known evangelist for the area became the lead drug trafficker. The elders from his local church ran his drug lab for him. And we were praying desperately, asking the Lord to turn this situation around. What were we going to do? Well... During the time I was held hostage, the Lord put in my heart that radio would be the way to reach these people. And so I began praying. We began to have a radio program. Then the Lord gave us a little community radio station. And wouldn't you know, a little church in Indiana sent us an offering of what was left over from their building fund, and we were able to build our own shortwave radio transmitter. We got that shortwave radio transmitter done, and by another series of miracles, we actually got permission to have a legal shortwave station. And then we got another shortwave frequency, and then an AM station, and then more FM stations. And in Canada, the founder of Galcom came to a missionary convention where I was and walked up to me and said, what would it take to make a lasting impact on the country of Colombia? And I said, well, there's, there's close to a million men and women fighting there. I think if we could give one of your Galcom radios to one out of every ten, it would make an impact. Well, those are $30 radios. He said, you just asked for $3 million with the radios. But we'll do it. The video that you saw was when we were about halfway through the project. Now we've finished and we're on our next project and the radios are even better because they're smaller and now they can contain digital audio Bibles embedded in the technology we can even put up to two Bibles if we need to put them in different languages it's amazing but it was after the missionaries left after the pastors got kicked out, after the church buildings got burned down, that God really began to move in eastern Colombia. 
guess where the leadership is coming from? The gorillas are getting converted. The drug traffickers are being converted. The right-wing paramilitary forces are being converted. There is a tremendous move of God among the forces of the Colombian army. We were out there struggling, and about 10 years ago, someone from Voice of the Martyrs showed up on our doorstep. And Voice of the Martyrs is a very interesting uh, group of people, very unique. They travel around the world looking for Christians that are under fire and where Christians are being persecuted. And they don't work with refugees like so many good organizations do. Refugees and working with refugees means you take someone from a place where they're in danger and you help them get to a place where they will be safe or safer. That's not what Voice of the Martyrs does. They go out in the middle of where the worst trouble is going on that they can find and they look and see if there are Christians standing for the Lord. And if they can find any, they help them. They help them to stand. So they showed up on our doorstep and came alongside and decided to help us. And right at the moment, when God began to move, they put incredible resources into our hands. Millions of books. They helped with the distribution of the radios, the Galcom radios. There had been no missionary aviation in eastern Colombia for 15 years. And there isn't any in Venezuela right now either. And so they helped us restart missionary aviation. And our first job with our missionary aviations was now to fly over areas too difficult to reach on the ground and drop Bibles and radios by parachute. Can you imagine if you're someone that has responded to a gospel message on the radio and you've been praying for years for a Bible and they're making a concerted effort not to allow Bibles into their territory. And how about after praying for about five years, one lands in your backyard in a parachute? Would you appreciate that Bible? Would you spend all of your spare time studying it and learning all you could about it? These people, when they get the Bible, they read it from cover to cover. They go over and over. We're having people come out of the jungle that have been listening to our programs on the radio as we preach and teach through the Bible. And we're finding people that know more about the Bible and have more depth than someone who's been to Bible school or seminary. And many of these people have never even once been to an organized Christian meeting. Can you imagine that? But the very nature of the gospel brings people together. So as God deals with individuals, he starts bringing them together in an underground church. Where if they make a mistake, and someone in the communist chain of command or leadership or one of their many spies finds out about it, people are going to get killed. But now it's advanced to the point where there are meetings going on even in the communist guerrilla camps themselves. 
the guards and watchmen to the camp watch, and when the leaders leave for some reason, then they break out the radios and the Bibles. And when the head guys come back, they have to hide everything again. And if they get found out, sometimes they get killed. But other times now, God is starting to deal even with the top leaders. And so now what they do when they find a cell of Christians getting together, they try and split them up. They transfer them as far away as they can. And what they do is spread the gospel. So the communists have been spreading these people out into places where we can't even reach well with our radio signals. True Christianity has always done well under adversity. And what we call peace and prosperity lowers the intensity of Christianity. It puts God's people to sleep many times. And we're to the point now where we need a wake-up call. Something that was driven home to me a few months ago when a friend of mine came down and we went back into the jungle to an area where the missionaries had been ran out more than 25 years ago. They had not seen a missionary or a pastor since then. And we went out there and had a conference. And God blessed. And even the guerrillas were respectfully asking us for Bibles and for Galcom radios. And in that conference, my friend preached a message on Matthew chapter 25. You remember the story. There were five wise virgins. There were five foolish virgins. And you remember the story about the wise ones entering in to receive the bridegroom, and the foolish ones were running around in the middle of the night. Their lamps were going out, and they couldn't find any oil to keep the lamp going. But what struck me in that message was my friend brought out the theme that the wise virgins were just as asleep as the foolish virgins and they all needed to be woke up. And what keeps going through my heart and mind is in this great country, the United States of America, we have a lot of good Christian people that really do belong to the Lord. That really are connected to the supply of oil but they're asleep regarding God's plan and purpose for this hour. They're not focused. If it really dawns on us that we've only got so much time left, we've only got a certain amount of resources, if we squander today, we will never be able to repeat the opportunities tomorrow. And we're in a life and death struggle. Why hasn't the Lord returned? Well, there's a really good reason in Revelation chapter 6. In the middle of Revelation chapter 6, about the time when they opened the fifth seal, it shows the souls of the redeemed under the heavenly altar crying out to God and saying, How long, O Lord, until you intervene? How long is all of this onslaught and persecution going to continue? And friends, we're in a little pocket 
where the devil's ta tactic here in North America is just to lull us asleep and get us disengaged. The rest of the world is going through persecution. If we were in China or in Pakistan or in Iran or in so many different places, northern Africa, Egypt, things are serious for Christians. There are more martyrs and more people getting killed for the cause of Christ now than at any other time in history. So back to Revelation chapter 6. The answer that God gives of the reason for the delay of why he doesn't come back and set things right is he says he's going to wait until the number is complete. In other words, he's going to use the circumstances of all this adversity to provide more opportunity so that more people can come to Christ. Because he has a purpose. And scripture is very clear. It says all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And scripture says that everyone that has faith is going to face a trial of their faith. They're going to face a time in a moment in which it's going to be clear for all eternity where our priorities lie. And sometimes these tests can come from seemingly insignificant things. I was just at a Voice of the Martyrs conference in Cheyenne, Wyoming. They brought in speakers from around the world sharing and in the midst of terrible persecution, God is moving all over the world. Muslims are coming to Christ in increasing numbers more than ever before. Supernatural dealings of God where they're dreaming about Jesus. And amazing things are taking place. And after that conference, a little seven-year-old girl came up to me and handed me a letter. And she said, I want this to be given to Voice of the Martyrs. And she had drawn a picture in there, and she had written a little paragraph saying, if it were really necessary, I would give my life for the cause of Christ. Only God knows what's going on in our hearts. I was speaking in another uh, place in northern Canada, northern British Columbia, in a little college where they asked me to come and teach for a week. And they let the children in to the class. And there was a little girl on the front row. And I was teaching on the Song of Solomon about the Shulamite girl who'd been burned by the sun, burned by the world. And she was taking care of a little flock of goats but she was following the steps of the sheep, the tracks of the sheep and the tracks of the shepherd. And in the message, I was explaining the difference between the sheep and the goats. The goat nature is like unredeemed humanity. The appetites of the goats are terrible. Sheep are different. 
Sheep want clean grass, pure water. But following the tracks, this little Shulamite girl has a tremendous encounter with the king. And she comes into a personal relationship with the king. And by the end of the book, she has become the queen. By the end of the book, there has been a tremendous transformation in her life. And this little girl's on the first row, and she's tracking this whole message for over an hour. And at the end, she comes up to me and says, Mr. Stendhal, I think I understood your message. And I said, yes. And she said, now I know why they call us kids. Little goats, they don't call us lambs, little, little sheep. The little wheels were turning, and she realized that there was a need for a change in her heart and in her life that can only happen by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that little girl spent an hour there understanding the gospel in a message that should have been way over her head. And now, years later, in the midst of our ministry in Colombia, this beautiful 18-year-old girl showed up to spend a few months with us. And I was able to see the maturity and the development that God had done over those years. It is incredible when we come to the Lord as little children, and it is never too early. The Lord has been moving among young people, among children in Colombia. Some of our most effective radio programs are for children. Was driving in eastern Colombia, and some rebel guerrillas came running out of the woods, and headed me off and got ahead of the vehicle and stopped us. And I thought, what did I do now? I've been kidnapped six or five different times by the communists and, and once by the paramilitary, six times in Colombia. But this time they came up to the window. They were all breathless. I rolled down the window and they said, uh, we missed one of the episodes of your children's program. Can you get it for us? We found that if we put a children's toy in one of our parachutes, because they don't have toys out there, the kids will hunt down those parachutes. And it makes about 10 times more likely that none will be lost. So for the simple investment of putting a little toy, when we put the radio and the Bible and the books by Richard Wormbrand, ups our possibility of success tremendously. God looks at things from a, a, a much different standpoint than what we do. If, if he can't take a straight shot at something, he'll take a bank shot at it. Let me give you an example. We've got a little book Richard, written by Richard Wormbrand, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, called Jesus, a Friend for Terrorists. 
And we printed over 500,000 copies just to that book. And then as some of the colonels and generals in the Colombian Army were getting converted, they would give us access to their men. And I would pass out thousands of these uh, little booklets to the Colombian Army soldiers and give them a New Testament or a Bible if we had one and ask for their help because we want to evangelize the communist rebels. And so I'd ask these soldiers to take this little booklet and when they're on maneuvers, would they help place this book in a farm or in a school or in some place where someone associated with the communists can get a hold of it? But you see, the soldiers are curious. See, so they're going to help to pull these books, but they're going to read it in the meantime. And it seems to them that this message of repentance is a perfect message for those awful terrorists out there. And they start reading this, and they start agreeing with it, and, oh, this is just the most wonderful thing for their enemies, that just perfect, you know? And uh, the next thing you know, God's got them. The next thing you know, tears are rolling down their cheeks, and they're surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ and repenting of the evil that they have been involved in. And so we've had a tremendous move of God among the Colombian military that we weren't even looking for. They weren't even our target. It's hard sometimes to get past the Roman Catholic chaplains because Colombia is an official Catholic country. And so in one place, the Catholic chaplain closes down, wouldn't let us pass out any more materials to the army. But guess what happened? In another area of Colombia, down on the south border, a Catholic priest found one of our parachutes. Started reading the Richard Wormman books, started studying the Bible, and started listening to us on the radio. His life was totally transformed. And guess who got appointed to be the next chaplain to the military base where we were having trouble? Now he drives up to our warehouse in the military truck and loads up with uh, Bibles and, and materials and goes, and he's the one that passes it out to the troops. The Catholic chaplain to the Presidential Guard in Colombia was hemming and hawing. And he said he would have to approve the materials first. He couldn't let us just come in, even though the colonel wanted us to uh, distribute the materials to the 1,000-man Presidential Guard. And so I took a shopping bag and loaded it up with our stuff and brought it to the priest and asked him to review it. Well, a few minutes after I left, the priest had a heart attack. When they wheeled him out on the stretcher and put him in the ambulance, somebody said, I think that's his shopping bag. So they put it in on top of him, loaded it all in the ambulance, and went to the hospital. And he spent the next few weeks in the hospital with nothing to do except for read those books. Well, all of a sudden got another call from the presidential guard. Now they wanted the materials. So we went down there. We passed out New Testaments to everyone. We gave them whatever else we had. They even covered it on the Bogota News. And I went back a couple weeks later to see what was going on. And the colonel said, you can't believe what happened to the priest. He's a totally different person. 
He used to make us march around the streets of Bogota with a statue of the Virgin Mary on our shoulders. And it was the most uh, ridiculous and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was just a, a waste of time, the colonel said. But now uh, he has the men memorize Bible verses. He drills them on who can find references the fastest in their New Testaments. And the priest runs around patrolling the presidential grounds, and if he finds a soldier that doesn't have his New Testament in his pocket, he makes him do 40 push-ups right on the spot. When those who have been persecuting come to the Lord, many of them get what I call an Apostle Paul complex. You remember the scripture mentions in several occasions that Paul had this problem. He had a thorn in his flesh that he couldn't get rid of and that God would not remove. And there's been a lot of speculation as to what that might have been. Could it have been his poor eyesight? Could it have been some other uh, problem that he was struggling with? Could it have been the adversity that he was continually facing? But I heard a message a few months ago Someone said, you know, I think that the thing that Paul could not escape, that he could not get away from, no matter what he did, was the fact that he had persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He had been there helping those that were killing Stephen. He had been dragging men, women, and children off to prison. He couldn't forget it. And so he was willing to go forward no matter what the odds. If he realized that God wanted him to do something, he didn't care how much persecution there was. He was willing to be in prison for the cause of Christ. People say he made a terrible mistake returning to Jerusalem. But you know something? If the Apostle Paul wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem and, and spent so much time after that in prison, we would be missing a very important section of this book. Those prison epistles that he wrote are there to encourage Christians under fire even today. Richard Wormbrand wrote a book called Marx and Satan, which proves that Karl Marx is not an atheist, really a Satanist. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God, he hated God and willingly joined the devil, and wrote all kinds of poetry and all kinds of literature praising the devil that never got printed or published by the Marxists that picked up his other materials. So Richard Wurmbrand brought out all this and put it together in a book called Marx and Satan, and it proves that Karl Marx was really a Satanist. It proves that he really believed in God, but he hated God. And it's devastating to the position of the Marxists. When they get that book, they either want to shoot whoever gave them the book, or else they don't want to have anything more to do with Marxism. We didn't realize the impact this was going to have. And so we took the first books, and a young man who wanted to be a missionary to the guerrillas loaded up his backpack with these books, and we sent him off, and no one ever heard from him again, not even his home pastor. And as the years went by, 
And it was one of these things that we just never been able to figure out what happened to this young man. Well, a couple years ago, we were having a pastor's retreat from Voice of the Martyrs. There's huge areas in Columbia where you can't have a meeting, but on the edges of these areas where you can still have a Christian church, the pastors are under a lot of persecution. So Voice of the Martyrs works with the pastors and helps them. They have a pastor support program. We help them if they need literature. We help them if they have some need in their ministry that they can't meet. Sometimes just a bicycle makes them more effective. Or a sewing machine for the wife so that she can help support the family. But in one of these pastor's meetings, I noticed that there was a guy that seemed to have something that was bothering him. And finally, he got up enough gumption to come and, and tell me what was on his heart. And he said, remember that young man that you sent with those Marx and Satan books? And I said, yes. We had put a picture of Karl Marx on the front of the book, and we'd renamed it the Unknown Karl Marx. And this pastor said, well, I was a member of a paramilitary group, and when that young man came through, we saw those books in his backpack, and we shot him in the head. They shot him in the head thinking that he was taking Marxist literature to the guerrillas. Never even bothered to open the books. But after the young missionary was dead, they started reading the literature. And some of the paramilitary guys got converted. And this guy, who used to be a paramilitary, was now a pastor of a thriving church, but haunted by the memory that he had killed a missionary. And he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God had him taking the place of the man that he killed. See, when something like that happens to someone, it gives them a totally different focus on ministry. Things that would be optional to normal people aren't optional to them. It's 100% commitment all the way. From the guerrilla side, we're seeing the same thing. Guerrillas that were persecuting Christians coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and going forward against all odds to minister the gospel. When they found out, when the converted guerrillas found out that not enough incidents had happened in Venezuela for Venezuela to qualify to be put on the map of Voice of the Martyrs as a restricted nation. You want to know what the converted guerrillas wanted to do? They wanted to go over to Venezuela with a load of Richard Wormbrand books and force the issue and see how many of them could be killed or put in prison and what would it take to put Venezuela on the map as a restricted nation. But that's not what we're called to do either. We're not called to go looking for trouble. So I had to ask them to tone it down a little bit. But what we are called to do is to follow the Lord wherever he leads us. Paul had places where the Holy Spirit told him not to go. And so he didn't go there. And he had other places where God showed him that that was where he was supposed to go. And that's where he went. And that's where God blessed his ministry. This isn't about us trying to get God to bless what we want. 
It's about us being willing to do what he wants. And that's when we see the blessing. I fear that in our country here, we could have some hard times ahead. I don't think we can go on planting the wrong things in this nation and expect to not face the consequences. But what I do know is that when the adversity comes, the true gospel thrives. If and when we face adversity, it will be the greatest opportunity that we've had in our lifetime. And friend, there's only one qualification for really being used of God. There's only one thing that's important above all else. And that's a clean heart. It's more important than any other thing. If our heart is clean, and the only one who can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one that can keep it clean for us is if we submit to the dealings, to the discipline of the Lord. And if our heart is clean, he can work through us. You see, there's nothing we can do on our own that could possibly save ourselves or anyone else. The only work that's going to have eternal reward and consequences is the work that he does. And he wants to do his work in our heart. And as he cleans and purifies our heart, then he is able to work through us and touch and affect the lives of others. So we can be a part of what he's doing. God is getting ready to turn the tables on the enemy. If we just dwell on what the enemy is doing, if we just look at how our freedoms are being whittled away at, if we just look at all the debts that are being piled up, if we just look at the horrible situations all around the world that are spinning out of control, it is easy to lose hope. But friends, if we focus on the Lord and on what he's doing, this is the most exciting time in history to be alive. The greatest opportunities for God are now. If we allow him to deal with our hearts, he can show us how to best invest our time and our resources for eternal results. Those who are trusting in the stock market are going to be disappointed. Those who are focused on the things of this world, well, the world is going to come to a bad end. But if we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. If we allow the Lord to focus us on his priorities. And friends, the hardest place to live for God is prosperous, apparently peaceful, North America. The enemy has been lulling us asleep. If you were living with me in eastern Colombia, in the midst of the problems we have out there, it would be crystal clear to any that unless we depend on the Lord every day, we can't survive. Unless he leads us and guides us, unless we're in tune with him, 
We can't operate there. But we can get the idea here that we don't need to have the Lord in the first place. We can get the idea here that we can be in control. We can get the idea here that the American dream is the most important thing. Lots of people. that think that it's fine just an hour a week in church. Maybe pay your tithe. But God would like to focus us on the cutting edge of what he's doing. And in order to do that, he wants us to be in tune with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's not just after a tithe. He's after us. He wants us to belong to him. And if you're trying to just do the minimum and get by, have a little fire insurance in your back pocket in case you need it someday, well, I hope you succeed. I hope you're saved. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you, but that's not what I'm going to do. There isn't anything more fulfilling or satisfying than to be in tune with the Lord and for Him to allow us to participate in what he's doing. You remember the disciples? They fished all night, they caught nothing. And then, at a word from the Lord, everything changed. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if our hearts are clean, he can communicate with us. Columbia is at an incredible crossroads. There is a harvest coming in for the Lord above and beyond our wildest dreams. But it's happening in remote areas. It's happening out where there's lots of pressure. I'd like to read something here before I close. From the book of Revelation. And I'm not interested in Being dogmatic here, I realize these prophecies can be used by the Lord in many different ways, however the Holy Spirit chooses. But here in Revelation 12, listen to this. And there appeared a great sign in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried out, travailing in birth, in pain to be delivered. And there appeared another sign in the heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. God's got something that is being played out. And there is a corporate body of Christ of which we can be members in particular, of which Jesus Christ is the head. God is trying to put together. And God's people are travailing, have been travailing throughout history. And this may come to a head in the future, I don't know. But what I do know is 
the dragon has always been there throughout the history of the church trying to prevent God's plan and purpose from coming together. Trying to snatch any that would come to the Lord. Trying to sniff out the word and the message before it can fully take root and bring the believer to maturity in Christ. We don't see it as intense here because the devil's been trying to lull us to sleep. But I just come from Colombia, where in just one of the many radio stations that we work at, within a 60 to 80 mile range around that station, we have had 500 people killed in the last few months. Maybe more. Many of them just disappear. There are terrible forces of wickedness at play where we have terrorism mixed in with drug trafficking and people paranoid about anyone finding out their plans. And when people start to come to the Lord and start to open up to the gospel, they're worried that they're going to say something. They're worried that they're going to betray these dark causes. And they're being snuffed out before the gospel can fully take root in their, in their hearts and lives. That dragon is there. It's going on in North Korea. Anyone that makes any increment towards coming to Christ comes under fearful persecution. We just had a, a story come back that I know is true, and, and it, and it uh, sent shivers up and down my spine because a very well-meaning church here in North America decided to do an outreach to North Korea. And so they got suitcases together, loaded them up with Bibles, and all took off for North Korea and went in there and passed out all these Bibles and came back. And they showed up back here in North America thumping their chests like Tarzan, saying, we went into the most closed country in the world. It wasn't as bad as what they said. We were able to get in there. We delivered our Bibles. We prayed with the North Koreans. What's the big deal? Well, guess what really happened? The North Koreans didn't want a problem with the Americans. They just followed them along secretly and kept track of who received those Bibles and who was prayed for. And after the Americans were gone out of North Korea, they systematically went through and either killed or put in forced labor camps everyone that had anything to do with them. So instead of a tremendous success story for the cause of Christ, they, they got a bunch of people slaughtered over there because they did not pay attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The enemy doesn't care what side of the horse he pushes us off on. He just wants us out of line. The natural man without God zigzags wildly from one extreme to another. We can see it in the politics of our nation. The only way to be on track the only way to be fruitful and productive. Well, the scripture's clear. It says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. How are our steps going to be ordered by the Lord? There isn't any other way than for us to have a clean heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know where you're at this morning. 
if God is fuzzy to you, so many people just have a, a fuzzy concept of God, can't even tell the difference between Jesus and the Father. It's just all a blur. So many people are struggling and can't clearly see what God wants from them or how to relate. And if that's your case, if you'd like to go forward with the Lord, but just you just don't have the clarity, check your heart. Because if there's something wrong in our heart, if there's a little bitterness, a little unforgiveness, a few wrong desires, if we let the Lord deal with our hearts, if we let Him get to the bottom of anything that isn't right in our heart, everything else will clear up. In the New Covenant, He wants to write His laws on the tablets of our hearts and in our minds. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to put His will in us. One of the things that stands out when I'm with Christians that are under a lot of persecution is the tremendous joy of the Lord that they have and the love that flows. And the Bible says that if we love one another, the world is going to be able to see the world's going to be able to understand. If we claim to represent Christ and we're fighting with one another, the world can't understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for each and every one that's here. And I ask, Lord, that each and every one of us would take the advice that David gave to Solomon the advice that if Solomon would have taken it, would have changed history when he said, young man, above all else, guide your heart. Lord, that we would realize the importance of our hearts and have our hearts on the altar before you. Amen. Thank you, Russell, for telling us uh, from your heart and sharing what God is doing and for reminding us of how crucial it is that uh, we have a clean heart and are willing and obedient. Uh, as you prepare right now, we're going to give our tithes and offerings and sing one more song that uh, speaks to us today and glorifies God about uh, what he's done in our lives and what he's doing in the lives of others. Uh, if you also want to make a contribution to the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, make the check out to Houston First Church and just mark envelope or on the memo, uh, Voice of the Martyrs or VOM, and we'll make sure all of that uh, goes where God wants it to and uh, be blessed in doing so. And just want to remind you of a, a few other things. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you've been with us. We'd love for you to fill out the communication card uh, attached today and take it to the, uh, the welcome table just out in the foyer. If you are willing to be a part of uh, serving, coming up uh, this weekend at the Lavender House, the Ladies Halfway House on Saturday, uh, check out at the serve table out to your right. Uh, Johnny Wagner and others with Celebrate Recovery, if you have questions about that, we'll be out in the foyer to your left at the serve table as well. Got Trunk or Treat coming up this Saturday. Reach out to our community. Make sure that you support Pastor Garen and all the kids uh, in our church and our community by contributing to that and serving as well. 
And also, I want to just remind you that uh, as pastor, I sent out a letter to you this week. Some of you may have gotten it already. If not, check your mail. I know a lot of people don't think about mail, real mail anymore. But check your mail this week if you haven't seen the letter from Pastor Jeffrey. And it's just reminding you we're celebrating that we did close on the land sale uh, here, and that's funded. And now we are, have a short list of property that we're looking at in the Grand Parkway 290 area, the incoming Grand Parkway that we're looking at for not only investment and multiplication, but also for future ministry. And I've also asked you in that letter to pray, pray, pray for the leadership of this church that we will do everything it takes, and I'm asking you to pray about being willing to be a part of a new ministry that will reach people who do not attend church, who are unchurched, and who in this country and in our community desperately need Jesus Christ, and we believe that uh, he wants to help us to do that. So let's, uh, let's give and let's worship together. <laughs> 